Good morning, everybody. Hey, look, y'all going to have to put up with my voice today. I'm having this sinus stuff. Somebody, anybody else here dealing with this mess? So uh, I'm praying that God allows you to listen to me, even though I sound horrible, okay? But uh, hey, man, it is so good to see all of you here today and how blessed we are to have faith in a risen Savior, amen? I mean, our Savior is not in the grave. He has risen, and that faith gives us hope, doesn't it? Doesn't it give you hope? And hope is what we've been talking about. Now, before I get into my message, I just want to say a personal thank you to everyone who was praying for my sister Elaine. Uh, as you know, she came through the surgery. Uh, they removed the tumor. They didn't have to touch the nerve. She's able to walk. In fact, they sent her home yesterday. Isn't that crazy? But that's our God. Amen. Amen. Now, today, we're continuing this series we're calling Hope is Here. And it has been so encouraging for the church to gather together and uncover all the different ways that we find hope in our relationship with Christ, but also in our relationship with each other. The first week, we learned that there is hope even for the weary, even when you're worn out and tired, because we don't have to carry our burdens all by ourselves. The second week, we discovered that there is hope for the broken, because forgiveness is offered to all of us in love. Even when we've been broken by sin, we know that God loves us and will forgive us. The third week, we recognize that there is hope even for the underdog, even for the person that feels like all the odds are against them, because with God, we can do anything. Amen? Amen. Okay, so today, what is today? The resurrection of Jesus. And I think that of all days, for us to think about hope, it is today. I think the topic of today's message is very appropriate. Today we deal with one of the hardest places to find hope. Is there hope for the one who doubts? Is there hope for the doubter? Have you ever heard a piece of information that you just found very hard to believe. Any of you ever, any, you know, some friend walks up and says, hey, did you hear? And you're like, nah, I don't, I'm not sure I believe that. Maybe it sounded like something so outlandish that it made you doubt. Or maybe it was a too good to be true kind of thing. Somebody says, hey, you send me a, you know, 50 cent and I'll send you $5 million, you know, something. Something like that on the phone. I, I, I want to pose a couple of questions to you guys this morning. And uh, I need you to decide whether you trust me or you doubt me. Okay? Now, if you trust me, I want you to raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you trust me. Eddie, do you not trust me? I, I can see you. on it, man. <laughs> If you doubt me, don't raise your hand, okay? Let's try that again. Do you trust me? Raise your hand. If you doubt me, don't raise your hand. Okay, first one. Did you know 
that every day, on average, 11 banks in the U.S. are robbed. Do you trust me or do you doubt me? How many of you trust me? 11 banks every day are robbed in the U.S. Those of you that had your hands down are wrong. That is true. That is true. Now, how about this one? Did you know that you are more likely to be stung by a bumblebee in windy weather? Okay? Do you trust me or do you doubt me? How many of you trust me? Raise your hand. It, I don't see a lot of hands going up, but there's a couple of y'all that believe me, and I'm sorry to deceive you, but that's not true. <laughs> did you know, did you know <laughs> that there are square watermelons in Japan because they stack better? So how many of you trust me? Do you trust me? Do you trust me? Now, uh, we've got, we got some friends that have lived in Japan, um, the Clarks, Gary and Natalie, uh, just all at once. Would y'all say yes or no? Yes. It's true. Square watermelons, you know, and they're, they're better with salt on them, okay? That's my take on watermelons. Uh, did you know, now listen, you got to be a real science type person to know this. Did you know that penguins can smell toothpaste from a mile away? How many of you trust? Come on now. How many of you trust me? Penguins can smell toothpaste from a mile away. I see, I see just a couple of people that actually trust me on this. And, and once again, I am sorry to deceive you, but... Penguins smell so bad they can't smell toothpaste a mile away. Y'all ever smelled a penguin? Anybody ever smelled a penguin? It's hard to tell what to trust these days and what to doubt. The truth is that the deciding factor between believing or not believing is very often the messenger. Would you say that's true? Uh, who shares the information may determine whether we're going to believe it or not. Somebody who's been dishonest with us in the past, who comes up with some outlandish kind of thing, they're going to be harder to believe than a trusted and loyal friend. Doubt has become a common occurrence for many of us within our culture today. There are people that we know who have failed us, and it causes us to doubt them. Anybody with me on that? All right. There, there is so much false information out there. You know, just because it's on the internet does not mean it's true. Now, I know that's shocking for some of you. Some of you, if you read it on Facebook, you believe it and you start plastering, you start sharing, and then you find out, oh, that wasn't true. And we got to start taking stuff down. So it, it causes us to doubt. The, the past season of COVID, you know, it, it's so hard to know. You got one expert over here saying this and another expert over here saying this and we're getting mixed messages. Seeing a world that is full of hurt and pain makes us doubt sometimes whether God is good. People doubt for all kinds of reasons. And I would argue that the problem is not the doubt itself, but rather how we handle our doubt. 
You know, do we just succumb to our doubt or do we really try to find the answers? As we know, and we've been learning from the past few weeks, Jesus is here. He is right here. And when Jesus is here, you know what else is here? Hope is here. And so the big idea for today's message is that faith turns doubt into hope. Most of us have dealt with doubt at some point in our lives. How many of you would say that there are times that you've doubted something? Raise your hand. Um, we certainly are not alone in that struggle. After Jesus' resurrection, his friends were heartbroken because their hopes and their dreams of a new and better world under the rule of God's kingdom had seemingly come to a crashing end. It was not until Jesus started showing up again and his disciples started seeing him and talking to him that they, be they began to believe that Jesus is alive. But there was one disciple, you know his name? Thomas. And we throw in that doubting, doubting Thomas. That's, that's how we know him. And he would not believe. So let's go to John 20, verses 24 through 25. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the 12, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So we, Jesus appeared before the other disciples. Thomas isn't there. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. You know, Thomas does get a bad rap, doesn't he? I mean, because we do call him doubting Thomas. He's this faithless skeptic to us. He's often viewed as a cynic who just refuses to believe. However, if we are truthful, Thomas came to that place of skepticism and doubt honestly. Think about it. He had just watched his mentor of three years be brutally killed on a cross. Now the thought of getting his hopes up about a resurrection that if, again, just think about it, it would defy all logic that a dead man could rise again. It may have been just too hard for him to wrap his mind around it. He was more than likely looking to protect himself from further pain. Isn't that a lot of times why we doubt things? We don't want to trust it because we could be hurt again. Thomas said that he would not believe unless he saw the evidence in front of his eyes, evidence that he could see and touch. And this just reminds us, friends, that we, are often, we often doubt in order to protect ourselves. I feel like that certainly would be the case for many of us here. When you consider Thomas and his faith, you see that he was a loyal and devoted follower of Jesus. I mean, in fact, if you just look back to John chapter 11 and verse 6, upon hearing that Jesus 
has determined that he's going back to Jerusalem, Thomas says to the other disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Thomas was a fully committed follower of Jesus. He and the rest of the disciples knew that the religious leaders back in Jerusalem wanted Jesus dead. Uh, they were certain that if Jesus went back to Jerusalem, that those religious leaders would try to kill him. But Thomas reasoned this. If Jesus is going back, I'm going back too, and I'm willing to die with him. Now, would you say that's an unbeliever? Would you say that's a guy that's doubting? No. You'd say, man, what faith that guy has, what loyalty that guy has. And when it finally did happen, when those religious leaders did, uh, in, in their mind, kill Jesus, it was crushing. Maybe it would have been easier in some way if he had died with Jesus, but he didn't. And now his friends come to him with this unbelievable story. How could that be true? How could Jesus be alive again? How could he let his heart believe again? And truthfully, friends, we are a lot like Thomas. The doubt that we often express is a way of keeping ourselves from getting our hopes up, that things in our life can improve because over and over again, bad things have happened. Or getting our hopes up that God can answer our prayers or that God even loves us. Thomas did not want to believe that Jesus was alive because he did not want to be let down again. He didn't want to feel that crushing blow again. And we often do not want to believe and hope because we are afraid that God will not come through. Think about your own reactions to life uh, after you have experienced a painful situation. I mean, it takes time for you to open your heart up to other opportunities, doesn't it? If someone has lied to you, don't you find it a little harder to trust them in general? If someone cheated you, isn't it hard to be open to trusting that person again in the same kind of scenario? Of course it is. So think about it. What's the first thing we say when we're given some good news? Many times we'll say, no way, right? Don't we say that? Or sometimes we'll say, Man, you got to be kidding me about that. We respond first with words of doubt because we want to protect ourselves. And occasionally, it takes time to let that hope rise again. So a week after Thomas told the others that he refused to believe their reports, he and the disciples were together in a room behind locked doors when suddenly the source of hope arrived. Let's go back to our scripture text, verses 26 and 27. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. 
Now, without much explanation, Jesus, in his resurrected body, shows up in this locked room with the disciples. They must have been shocked to the core. Wouldn't you have been shocked to the core? You're in a locked room and all of a sudden Jesus comes in. How does that happen, all right? In fact, the first words Jesus spoke to them were, peace be with you. In other words, don't be afraid. Uh, you know, isn't it interesting how many times God shows up or an angel shows up or Jesus shows up in this situation and the first thing out of their mouth is, don't be afraid. Okay, it's okay. Uh, be, peace be with you. It's all right. But who does Jesus address first? It's Thomas, the doubter, the one who refused to believe that he was alive. And notice how he addresses him. Jesus didn't reprimand him for his doubt. He didn't belittle him for his skepticism. He didn't ridicule him for needing proof. No, he invited Thomas to see for himself. He said, put your fingers here in the scars in my hands, in my side. And this tells us Jesus is not afraid of our doubt. He's not. Now, there are many people in the church today who are struggling with their faith. Maybe some of you right here in our building, maybe some that are watching online, they've lost hope that Jesus is who they thought he was. The usual response to those people from the church is to shame people and to shun people. And I believe Jesus' response would be a lot different. I believe he would welcome the questions. He would welcome the conversation. Maybe he would even welcome the, the wrestling back and forth with what is true and what isn't. But I think that this is because he knows that the honest doubt will find honest answers. So let's think about how we as a church, or we as Christians, should respond to people who doubt? How should we, you know, react when someone tells us they're not sure whether there is a God or they're not sure whether Jesus is his son? The first thing I would suggest to you is that we should listen to those who doubt. Listen for things they're not saying as much as things they are saying. Where is that doubt coming from? Is the source of that doubt some hurt or pain or struggle or suffering that they've had to endure? You show me a church or a Christian who's willing to listen and I'll show you a church that's providing hope for the hopeless. And the second thing that I think we should do as a church or as Christians is we should empathize and express compassion. You know, when people let themselves feel others' hurt or pain or struggle, then they're better equipped to meet that need and build a bridge back to faith and hope. That person is divided from God for some reason, maybe some horrible situation in their life or maybe even because of sin, but there's a chasm between them and God. Now, if I come at them 
with a hammer and just want to crush them, there's, there's no bridge that's going to be built. Instead of judging the person, consider how you might react in the same circumstances. In other words, put yourself in their shoes. Now, I was a youth minister of a young man many years ago. He and his family were members of the church I was serving. He was a great kid. I mean, he was not mean. He was not violent. He was not a troublemaker. Just a good kid. He ended up joining the army. He met a young lady while he was in the army, and they ended up getting married. He did a couple of tours of duty overseas. In fact, he was in a vehicle that hit an IED in which he was riding, and he had friends who were injured severely and some that died. The amazing thing he told me about that was that he didn't get a scratch on him, which he saw as miraculous. Even though he felt like where he was sitting, he should have been dead because that bomb went off right underneath him. His immediate reaction at that time was that God had saved him, that by some miracle, God had protected him. But the memory of that bomb going off, the survivor's guilt that he felt, the trauma that he experienced from all of those tours of duty led him to come home with PTSD. On top of that, he discovered that his wife, with whom he believed he had had two children, wanted to divorce him. And then he found out that the second child was not really his child. She was the result of an extramarital affair. He had a hard time functioning when he got home. He couldn't hold down a job. If he heard a loud noise, it would send him into a dark hole. There were times as he would be driving down the road that he would see a, a garbage bag or some stuff on the side of the road and it would send him into a panic thinking it was an IED. He turned to alcohol and in his spare time he started watching YouTube videos and he had a lot of spare time because he couldn't hold down a job. Especially videos of people who were skeptics and atheists who shot holes all in his faith. When I reached out to him, he cursed me on the phone. And he said that I had lied to him when he was a young man about God. Today he has turned from his faith to doubt. And he would call himself an atheist. But I want you to hear this. I don't hate him. I hurt for him. All that he's been through, I don't know what my faith would be like if I had been through that. I'm not saying that it's okay that he's bought into his doubt. What I'm saying is that I empathize with him and I love him and I pray for him. And I pray that one day that love can help to build a bridge back to faith. I think Jesus loves him too. In fact, today is all about Jesus loving him. And I hope that he knows
that I love him and I would never turn away from him. Even if he curses me. If he needs me, all he's got to do is call. And I think that if we as a church will respond to other people who have doubt like that, and we'll understand that Jesus is not afraid of doubt. Jesus wasn't afraid of Thomas's doubt. We shouldn't be afraid uh, of other people's doubts either. By loving that person and not turning on them, we keep the door open to faith. They can go from being full of doubt to being full of hope when they find out that people care about them enough to walk with them and love them. Scripture doesn't say whether Thomas actually touched Jesus' hands and side, but when he heard Jesus' voice and saw Jesus in front of him, that faith and that hope just flooded back into his soul. What his friends had told him was true. Jesus was alive and he was standing right there in front of him. Where Jesus is, hope is. When Jesus is here, hope is here. And I want us to read verses 28 and 29. Thomas said to him, my Lord and my God. And then Jesus told him, because you have seen him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is all Thomas needed. He recognized that if Jesus can overcome death and the grave, then he surely must be Lord and God. Amen? Amen. This disciple who was the greatest doubter now becomes the disciple who made the greatest and truest claim of who Jesus was and is. Jesus was certainly thankful for Thomas's faith in his passage, but guess who Jesus is also thinking about? He's thinking about you and he's thinking about me. He's thinking about all those after Thomas who would be blessed for believing in his resurrection power and divine hope without seeing him physically. You see, friends, our doubts fail when we trust the source. Thomas had firsthand evidence that came directly from the source. This caused his doubts to just melt away. Our doubts can turn to hope when we to go directly to the source and find that Jesus is trustworthy. The scriptures are full of firsthand accounts of the resurrection of Jesus and the church throughout history has seen the power of Jesus in many miraculous ways. There is testimony all around us of people who have found Jesus to be very real. When Jesus is the source of our hope, we don't have to be crippled by doubt. Even when we feel our faith waver a little or our confidence shaken a little, knowing Jesus helps us to press on. You know, just think about it. On Friday, Thomas and the other disciples, all of their hopes were just dashed. Friday, he was crushed 
his friend, his mentor, his Messiah died on that cross. And then they buried him in a tomb. Somebody just took the rug right out from under him. All his faith was cast aside. Had everything he believed in been a lie? And then Sunday came. I wonder what Thomas was feeling that day. I wonder if he felt sad. And in the midst of that hopelessness and darkness, here came Jesus. And in that moment, he knew. He was hearing things he could not believe. He had been let down before. He was guarding his heart. He wouldn't believe unless he saw and touched Jesus. And then the day came. Jesus is there, alive, right in front of him. What was he thinking when he saw Jesus with his own eyes? When he finally realized that Jesus was truly alive, his hope returned, and he knew the Father's deep love was deep for us. How deep the Father's love for us How vast beyond all measure That He would give His only Son To make a wretch His treasure How great the pain of searing loss the Father turns His face away As wounds which mar the Chosen One Bring many sons to glory Behold the man upon a cross My sin upon His shoulders Ashamed, I hear my mocking voice Called out among the scoffers It was my sin that held him there Until it was accomplished His dying breath has brought me life I know that it is finished I will not boast in anything No gifts, no power, no wisdom But I will boast in Jesus Christ His death and resurrection why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. Why should I gain from his reward? I can't.
cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His wounds have paid my ransom. His wounds have paid my ransom. What a powerful, powerful message. His wounds have paid <coughs> my ransom. Friends, when we recognize that Jesus is here with us in the middle of our storms, in the middle of our doubts, we discover that hope is here. All we need to do is look on the face of Christ, see that all is well, because where Jesus is, there is hope. And we believe that he is here today with us. In Matthew 18, 20, we read, For where two or more are gathered in my name, there I am with you. He's here with us. We're gathered here today in his name. He is here. And since he is here, hope is here. And right now, I'd like you to just take your communion emblems. You know, this time of communion is a weekly reminder of the hope that we have. And so we come today to celebrate the ransom that Jesus paid. Without it, we would still be in bondage to slaves, uh, slaves to sin, slaves to death, without hope. But because of his sacrifice on that cross, his body being beaten and tortured for us, his blood poured out for us, we are free. We now have hope. And so today as we eat this bread and drink this cup, remember that sacrifice. Remember the ransom paid for you that no one else could pay. And so take that bread in your hand and think of Christ and his body. Jesus met with his disciples and while they were eating, he took the bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to them. And he said, take and eat. This is my body. And then he took the cup and when he had given thanks he gave it to them and he said drink from it all of you this is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins